0: Podcastle, episode number 73, for October 6th, 2009, Rapunzel, by Tanith Lee.
1: Hello, this is Rachel Swirsky. I'm thrilled to bring you today's story by author Tanith Lee. Tanith Lee has been one of my favorite authors since I was a teenager. My favorite books of hers are both science fiction. The first is Biting the Sun, which details a far future utopia which has solved the scarcity problem at the cost of creating ennui in their teenage set. My other favorite of hers is Silver Metal Lover, a novel about a young woman who leaves behind her wealth when she falls in love with a robot. Both of these novels are Derry-san, and if you've read Biting the Sun, you know what I mean. Tanith Lee published her first story in 1968. She's published an enormous array of short stories and novels since then, for which she's won Nebula Awards, World Fantasy Awards, and British Fantasy Awards. She's an accomplished writer of fantasy, science fiction, and horror. I'm not sure whether she's better known for her horror writing or for her rewritten fairy tales. It's one of the latter we bring you today, a reworked version of the fairy tale Rapunzel, which goes by the apt title Rapunzel. It first appeared in Black Heart, Ivory Bones, edited by Ellen Datlow and Terry Windling. It's read for us by science fiction and fantasy author Rajan Khanna, who hails from New York City where he belongs to the Altered Fluid Writers Group. He's a graduate of Clarion West who has published in Shimmer Magazine and has a story upcoming in Shadows of Emerald City. He can be found on the web at rajankhanna.com. Enjoy the story!
2: Rapunzel by Tanith Lee Not for the first time... A son knew himself to be older than his father. Erlin was thinking about this, their disparate maturities, as he rode down through the forests. It was May month, and the trees were drenched in fresh young green. If he had been coming from anywhere but a war, he might have felt instinctively alert and anticipatory, happy nearly. But killing others was not a favorite pastime. Also, the two slices he had got in return were still raw, probably inflamed. He was mostly disgusted. It was the prospect of going home. The castle, despite its luxuries, did not appeal. For there would be his father, a king, the two elder sons, and all the noble cronies. They would sit Erlin up past midnight, less to hear of his exploits than to go over their own or their ancestors. The capture of a fabulous city, a hundred men dispatched by ten, the wonderful prophecy of some ancient crone, even, once, a dragon... There may have been dragons centuries ago, Erlin judiciously concluded, but if so, they were thin on the ground by now. One more horror besides was there in the castle, his betrothed, the inescapable princess Madzia. The king had chosen Madzia for Erlin not for her fine blood, but because her grandmother had been, so they said, a fairy. Madzia had thick black hair to her waist and threw thick black tempers. After the battle, Erlin led his men off at the first friendly town. They deserved a junket, and their captains would look out for them. He was going home this way. This long way home. With luck, he might make it last a week. After all, Madzia would not like, or like too much, his open wounds. They ran across his forehead, and he had been fortunate to keep his left eye. Doubtless the king would expect the tale of some valiant, knightly one-to-one combat to account for this, but it had been a pair of glancing arrows. "'Should I make something up to cheer the dad?' No, and don't call him the dad either. He's king. He'd never forgive you. Erland found he had broken into loud, quite musical song. The ditty was about living in the greenwood, the simple life. Even as he sang, he mocked himself. Being only the third son had advantages, allowing for odd, lone journeys like this one. But there were limits. Something truly odd happened then. Another voice joined in with his, singing the same song, and in a very decent descant a girl's voice. The horse tossed its head and snorted, and Erlin reined it in. They sang, he and she, invisible, until the end. Then, nothing. Erlin thought, She's not scared, or she would never have sung. So he called, Hey, maiden, where are you? And a laughing voice, you could tell it laughed, called back, Where do you think? Inside a tree, called Erlin. You're a wood dryad. A what? A dryad. Oh, Gran told me about those. No, I'm not. Erlin dismounted. There was, he had come to see, something gray and tall and stone up the slope, just showing through the ascending trees. He did not shout again, nor did she. Erlin walked up the hill and came out by a partly ruined tower. Sycamores and aspens had rooted in its sides, giving it a leafy, mellow look. A cottage had rooted there, too, a large one, also made of stones, which had definitely been filched from the tower. Before the cottage and tower was an orchard of pear and apple trees just losing their white blossom. Chickens and a goat ambled about. The girl was hanging up washing from the trees. She was straight and slim, with short yellow hair like a boy's. And yes, still laughing. Not a dryad as you see, sir. Maybe unwise, though, calling out to strangers in the wood. Oh, you sounded all right. Did I? All sorts come through here, you get to know. Do you? Sometimes I fetch the animals, and we hide in the tower. Last month two men broke into the cottage and stole all the food. I let them get on with it, she added, careless. I was only raped once. I'd been stupid, but he wished he hadn't after. That's you warning me. No, you're not the type, sir. You looked upset when I told you. Then curious. I am. What did you do, kill him? No, I told him I loved him and gave him a nice drink. He'd have had the trots for days. Erlin himself laughed. Didn't he come back? Not yet, and it was two years ago. She looked about seventeen, three years younger than he. She had been raped at fifteen. It did not seem to matter much to her. She had a lovely face, not beautiful or pretty, but unexpected, interesting, like a landscape never seen before, though perhaps imagined. Well, maiden, he said, I'm thirsty myself. Do you have any drinks without medicine in them? I-, I can pay, of course. That's all right. We mainly barter when I go to town. She turned and walked off to the cottage. Erland stood, looking at the goat and chickens and a pale cat that had come to supervise them. The girl returned with a tankard of beer, clear as a river, and cold from some cool place, as he later learned, under the cottage floor. He drank gratefully. She said... "'You're one of the king's men, aren't you, sent to fight off the other lot?' "'The other lot?' "'Yes.' "'He said, "'That's right. "'That cut over your eye looks sore.' "'It is. "'I didn't want it noticed much and wrapped it up in a rag, which was, I now think, dirty. "'I can mix up something for that. "'You're a witch, too.' "'Gran was. "'She taught me.' "'Presently he tethered the horse to a tree and left it to crop the turf.' In the cottage he sat watching her sort and pound her herbs. It was neither a neat nor a trim room, but pleasing. Flowering plants burst and spilled from pots on the window sills. Herbs and potions, vinegars and honey stood glowing like jade and red amber in their jars. A patchwork curtain closed off the sleeping place. On the floor there were baskets full of colored yarns and pieces of material. Even some books lay on a chest. There was the sweet smell of growing things— The memory of recent baking, the bread stood by on a shelf, a hint of damp. And her, young and healthy, fragrant, feminine. When she brought the tincture she had made and applied it to the cuts, her scent came to him more strongly. Erlin thought of Madzia, her flesh heavily perfumed and washed rather less often. He thought of Madzia's sulky, red, biteable-looking mouth. This girl said, That will sting. It does, he thought, and I don't mean your ointment. But it'll clean the wound. Alas, I think there'll be a scar. Two scars. Will that spoil your chances, handsome? He looked up and straight in her eyes. She was flirting with him plainly. Oh yes, she knew what she was at. She had told him she could tell the good from the bad by now. I don't look much like a king's son, certainly. Not any more, Just some minor noble able to afford a horse so it may be me, she fancies. Her eyes were more clear than any beer-brown river. If you don't want money, let me give you something else in exchange for your care. And what would you give me? Well, what's on the horse I need to keep, but is there anything you see that you'd like? Was he flirting now? To his intense surprise, Erlin felt himself blush. And surprising him even more, at his blush, she... This canny, wilful woods witch, she did too. So then he drew the ring off his finger. It was small, but gold, with a square-cut rosy stone. He put it in her palm. Oh no, she said, I can't take that for a cup of ale and some salve. If you'd give me dinner too, I think I'd count as quits, he said. She said without boldness, gently, there's the bed as well. Later in the night, he told her he fell in love with her on sight, only did not realize he had until she touched him. That's nothing, she said. I fell in love with you the minute I heard you singing. Few have done that, I can tell you. They were naked by then, and had made love three times. They knew each other well enough to say such things. The idea was he would be leaving after breakfast, and might come back to visit her when he could. If he could. The talk of being in love was chivalry and play. But just as men and women sometimes lie when they say they love and will return, so they sometimes lie also when they believe they will not. They united twice more in the night, while the cat hunted outside, and the goat and chickens muttered from their hut. In the morning, Erlin did not leave. In the morning, she never mentioned he had not. When she told him her name, he had laughed out loud. What, like the salad? Just like. My ma had a craving for it all the time she carried me, so then she called me for it to pay me out. The other paying out had been simple, too. In God's name, he said, holding her at arm's length, shocked and angry, even though he knew it happened frequently enough. I don't mind it, she said. He could see, even by the fire and candlelight, she did not. How forgiving she is. No, how understanding of human things. For the girl's mother had sold her, at the age of twelve, "'to an old woman in the forests. "'I was lucky. "'She was a wise woman, "'and she wanted an apprentice, not a slave. "'In a few weeks, it seemed, "'the girl was calling the old woman Gran, "'while Gran called her Goldie. "'She was better than any mother to me,' said the girl. "'I loved her dearly. "'She left me everything when she died. "'All this, and her craft that she taught me. "'But we only had two years together. "'I'd have liked more. "'Never mind. "'As she used to say, "'some's more than none.' It was like that with my hair. She called you Goldie for your hair. No, because she said I was good as gold and bad as butter. What? She was always saying daft funny things. She'd made you smile or think, even if your heart was broken. She had the healing touch, too. I don't have it. You did for me? Ah, but I loved you. After an interval, during which the bed became, again, unmade, the girl told Erlin that her fine hair which would never grow, and which, therefore, she cut so short, was better than none, according to Gran. It wasn't unkind, you see, but pragmatic. She often startled him with phrases, words, she could read. Needless to say, Gran had taught her. Why, bad as butter? Because butter makes you want too much of it. I can't get too much of you. Shall I call you Goldie, or the other name? Whatever you like. Why don't you find a name for me yourself? Then I'll be that just for you. I can't name you like my dog. That's how parents name their children. Why not lovers? He thought about the name as he went about the male chores of the cottage, splitting logs, hunting the forest, mending a scythe. Finally, he said diffidently, I'd like to call you Flarva. That's elegant. I'd enjoy that. He thought she would have enjoyed almost anything. Not just because she loved him, but because she was so easy with the world. He therefore called her Flarva, not explaining yet it had been his mother's name, his mother who had died when Erlin was only six. Erlin had sometimes considered if his father's flights of fancy would have been less if Flarva had lived. The dad, yes, I shall call you that in my head, had not been king then. Kingship came with loss, after, and also power and wealth and all the obligations of these latter things. Other men would have turned to other women, The dad had turned to epics, ballads, myths, and legends. He filled his new-sprung court with songmakers, actors, and storytellers. He began a library, most of the contents of which, unlike this young girl, he could not himself read. He inaugurated a fashion for the marvelous and magical. If someone wanted to impress the dad, they had only to prove, by means of an illuminated scroll, that they took their partial descent from one of the great heroes or heroines, Dragon slayers, spinners of gold, tamers of unicorns. Indeed, only four years ago the king had held a unicorn hunt. It was well attended. One of the beasts had been seen, reportedly, drinking from a fountain on the lands of the dad. Astonishingly, they never found it. Rumors of it still circulated from time to time, and those who claimed to have seen it, if they told their tale just in that way, were rewarded. Was the king mad? Was it his brain, or only some avoiding grief at the reality of the brutal world? Or is it his genius, said the girl, Flarva, when he informed her of his father's nature. When the dark comes, do we sit in the dark, or light candles? How he thought I love you. And strangely, she said then, there, you love him. I suppose I do, but he irks me, I wish I could go off. Look at me here, I should have got home by now. He had not, despite all this, yet revealed to her that the dad was also the king. Did she still assume his father was only some run-down baron or knight? Erlin was not sure. Larva saw through to things. Well, when you leave, then you must, was all she said in the end. He had been up by now to the town, a wandering little village with a church and a tavern and not much else. Here he found a man with a mule who could take a letter to the next post of civilization. From there it would travel to the king. The letter explained Erlin had been detained in the forests. He had only one piece of paper and could not use it up on details. He begged his lordly sire to pardon him and await his excuses when he could come home to give them. Afterward, Erlin had realized this had all the aura of some dad-delighting sacred quest, even a spell. Would he have to go to the king eventually and say, A witch enchanted me? He did not think he could say that. It would be a betrayal of her, although he knew she would not mind. There was no clock in the cottage, or in the village town. Day and night followed each other. The green thickened in clusters on the trees, and the stars were thinner and more bright on the boughs of darkness. Then a golden border stitched itself into the trees. The stars waxed thicker again, and the moon more red. Arlen liked going to the village market with Flarva, bartering the herbs and apples and vegetables from her garden plot and strange patchwork and knitted coat she had made, one of which he now gallantly wore. He liked the coat. He liked the food she cooked. He liked milking the adventurous goat, which sometimes went calling on a neighbor's he-goat two miles off, and he had to be brought back. He liked the pale cat, which came to sleep with them in the hour before dawn. He liked wood cutting, the song of birds and their summer stillness, the stream that sparkled down the slope, the gaunt old tower, morning and evening. Most of all, he liked her, the maiden name first for a salad. Not only lust and love, then, for liking surely was the most dangerous. Lust must burn out, and love grow accustomed. But to like her was to find in her always the best, of herself, himself, and all the world. One evening, when the lamp had just been lit, she straightened up from the pot over the fire, and he saw her as if he'd never had. He sat there, dumbfounded, as if not once in the history of any land Has such a thing ever before happened. Sensing this, she turned and looked at him with her amused, kindly, feral eyes. Why didn't you tell me, Flarva? I was waiting to see how long you'd take to notice. How far gone is it? Oh, four months or so. Not so far. You haven't been too slow. Slow? I've been blind, but you... You're never ill. Herbs are good for this, too. But... "'It must weigh on you. "'It, it, he then, or she then. "'They then. "'They? "'Twins, I am carrying, love of my heart. "'How do you know? "'Your herbs again?' "'A dowsing craft, Grant taught me. "'Boy and girl, Erlin, my dear.' "'He got up and held her close. "'Now he felt the swell of her body pressing to him. "'They were there. "'She was not fretful. "'Neither was he.' It was as if he knew no harm could come to her. She was so clear and wholesome and yet so, yes, so sorcerous. No one could know her and think her only a peasant girl in a woods cottage. Perhaps it was for this reason, too, he had had no misgivings that he abused when first he lay down with her. He a prince, she a princess, equals, although they were of different social countries. However, what to do now? I've grasped from the beginning I'd never leave you, Flarva, but I have to confess to you about myself." She looked up into his eyes. She had learned she had two children in her womb. Perhaps she had fathomed him, too. "'Have you—I mean, do you know I am—a king's son?' She smiled. "'What does it matter?' "'Because—if you must leave me, Erlin, I've always left open the door. I'd be sorry.' Oh, so very sorry, but perhaps you might come back, now and then. Whatever, love isn't a cage, or if it is, a pretty one, with the door undone and the birds out and singing on the roof. I can manage here. You don't see, Flarva. Maybe you might manage very well without me, but I'd be lost without you. And those two, really, I want to know them as well. I'm glad, but I thought you would. So I must find a way to bring you home. Simple. Simple. I shall give this cottage to our neighbor. The goat will like that. The neighbor's good with fruit trees and chickens, too. As for the cat, she must come with us, being flexible and quite portable. No, my love, you know quite well what I mean. A way to bring you into my father's castle and keep you there, and selfishly let you make it home for me at last. They sat by the fire. The evenings now were cooler than they had been. Side by side, he and she... They plotted out what must be done. The answer was there to hand, if they had the face, the cheek for it. It had been a harsh, white winter, then a soft spring. Now flame green early summer lighted the land. Amazed, the castle men at arms, about to throw Erlin in the moat, recognized him. I'm here without any state. In a state, they agreed. But then some of the men he had led in the war ran up, cheering him, shaking his hand. "'Where on God's earth have you been? "'We searched for you... "'A wild, weird tale. "'Take me to the king. "'He must hear first. Erlin had been driving a wagon pulled by two mules and his war horse tied at the back. One or two heard a baby cry and looked at one or two others. Prince Erlin went into the king's presence just as he was, in workday colorful peasant clothes and with two white scars glaring above his shining eyes. The king, who did not know he was the dad, had been on a broad terrace that commanded a view of the valleys and the distant mountains that marked his kingdom's end. The two elder sons were also there, and their wives, and most of the court, servants, soldiers, various pets, some hunting dogs, and Princess Madzia, who, for motives of sheer rage, had not gone away all this while. Erlin bowed. The king, white as the paper of Erlin's last, only second letter sprang up they embraced and the court clapped all but Madsia. erlin thought i've been monstrous to put him through this but surely i never knew he liked me at all but he does look he's crying oh god i could hang myself but that would not have assisted the dad nor himself so instead erlin said will you forgive me my lord and sire i was so long gone on this strangest adventure the most fearsome and bizarre event of my life I never thought such things were possible. Will you give me leave to tell you the story of it? There followed some fluster, during which Princess Madzia scowled, her eyes inky thunder. But these eyes dulled as Erlin spoke. In the end, they were opaque, and all of her gone to nothing but a smell of civet and a dark red dress. Years after, when she was riotously married elsewhere and cheerful again, she would always say, broodingly, falsely, my heart broke. But even she had never said that Erlin had been wrong. Erlin told them this. Journeying home through the forests, he had come to an eerie place in a green silence. And there, suddenly, he heard the most beautiful voice singing. Drawn by the song, he found a high stone tower. Eagerly, yet uneasily, quite why he was not sure, he waited nearby to see if the singer might appear. Instead, presently, a terrible figure came prowling through the trees. She was an old hag, and ugly, but veiled in an immediately apparent and quite awesome power which he had no words to describe. Reaching the tower's foot, this being wasted no time, but called out thus, Let down your hair! Let down your hair! And then, wonder of wonders, from a window high up in the side of the tower, a golden banner began unfolding and falling down. Erlin said he did not for one minute think it was hair at all. It shone and gleamed, but he took it for some weaving of metal threads. But the hag placed her hands on it, and climbed up it, and vanished in at the window. Erlin prudently hid himself then more deeply in the trees. After an hour, the hag descended as she had gone up. Erlin observed in bewilderment as this unholy creature now pounced away into the wood. Then I did a very foolish thing, very foolish but I was consumed, you see, by burning curiosity. Imitating the cracked tones of the hag, he called out, just as she had done, Let down your hair! And in answer, sure enough, the golden woven banner silked once more from the window and fell and fell. He said when he put his hands to it, he shuddered, for he knew at once, and without doubt, it had all the scent and texture of a young girl's hair. But to climb up a rope of hair was surely improbable. Nevertheless, he climbed. The shadows now were gathering. As he got in through the window slot, he was not certain of what he saw. Then a pure voice said to him, Who are you? You were never that witch. There, in a room of stone, with her golden tresses piled everywhere about them, softer than silken yarn, gleaming, glorious, and, he had to say, rather untidy, the young girl told him her story. Heavy with child, the girl's mother had chanced to see, in the gardens of a dreaded, dreadful witch, a certain salad. For this she developed, as sometimes happens with women at such times, a fierce craving. Unable to satisfy it, she grew ill. At last, risking the witch's wrath, the salad was stolen for the woman. But the witch, powerful as she was, soon knew, and manifested before the woman suddenly. "'In return for your theft from my garden, I will thieve from yours.' You must give me your child when it is born, for my food has fed it. Otherwise, both can die now. So the woman had to agree. And when she had borne the child, a daughter, weeping bitterly, she gave it to the witch, who, for her perverse pleasure, named the girl after the salad. Here he told the name, and kept her imprisoned in a tower of stone. But her hair, said Erlin, oh, her hair, it grew golden and so long, finer than silk, stronger than steel. Was it for this magic? perhaps imparted by the witch's salad that the witch truly wanted her? Some plan she must have had to use the hapless maiden and her flowing locks? I thwarted it, for having met the maid, she and I fell in love. Erlin had intended to rescue his lover from the tower, but before that was accomplished, he visited her every day, and the witch, cunning and absolute, discovered them. You'll realize, said Erlin, she had only to look into some sorcerer's glass to learn of our meetings, but we, in our headstrong love forgot she could. Faithless, screamed the witch, and coming upon the girl alone, cut off all her golden hair. Then the witch, hearing the young man calling, herself let the tresses down for his ladder, and he, in error, climbed them. Once in the tower's top, the witch confronted him in a form so horrible he could not later recall it. By her arcane strengths, however, she flung him down all the length of the tower, among great thorns and brambles which had sprung up there. Among them I almost lost my sight. You see the scars left on my forehead. Blinded, I wandered partly mad for months. Beyond the tower lay an occult desert, caused by the witch's searing spells. Here the witch in turn cast the maiden, leaving her there to die. But, by the emphasis of love and hope, she survived, giving birth alone in the wilderness to the prince's children, a little boy and girl as alike as sunflowers. There in the end, sick and half-insane, I found her. Then she ran to me, and her healing tears fell on my eyes, and my sight was restored. Love had triumphed. The desert could not thereafter keep them, and the prince and his beloved, wife in all but name, emerged into the world again, and so set out for the kingdom of the prince's father. He's crying again. Yes, I should hang myself, but maybe not. After all, she said I might make her out, Gran was wicked said the old lady would have laughed, all in a good cause, a perfect cause. They're all crying, look at it, and the dad, he does love a story. "'My son, my son, won't this evil sorceress pursue you?' Erlin said frankly. She hasn't yet, and it was a year ago. The king said, "'Where is the maiden?' "'Oh, the hush.' "'She waits just outside, my lordly sire, and our children too.' One thing. What is it? Since the witch's cruel blow, her hair lost its supernatural luster. Now it's just a nice shade of flaxen. Nor will it grow at all. She cuts it short. She prefers that, you see, after the use to which it was last put. By her hair, then, you'll never know her. Only by her sweetness and her lovely soul, which shine through her like a light through glass. Then the doors were opened and Flarva came in. She wore a white gown with pearls and her short yellow hair. She looked as beautiful as a dream, and after her walked two servants with two sleeping babies, and by them a pale stalking cat which, having no place in the legend, at first no one saw, although it may have found its way into other tales. But the king strode forward, his eyes very bright. Never, Erlin thought, had he seen this man so full of life and fascinated interest. Or had he seen it often, long ago, when he was only three or four or five, in Flarva's time? Welcome, said the king, the dad, gracious as a king or a father may be. Welcome to the wife of my son, my daughter, Rapunzel.
0: Feedback for Podcastle episode number 64. Reese Hughes, caster on troubled waters, about a Welshman who became a pirate. Or was it his father who became a pirate? Personally, I think he might have been full of it. This one had people quoting Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, vowing to share the story with their significant others, questioning the very nature of the fantastic. Yes, we had that conversation. And calling Alistair sexy. Huh. I wonder if anybody's calling me anything yet. Here's something. I'm a... fetish? Okay, uh, moving on. Feedback. Uh, Smith Mike G said, Alistair read this one perfectly. It was hilarious. The time difference kept bugging me until it was explained and it managed to distract me from the story at points. If the author had made the two friends question Castor on the time difference and Castor had replied along the lines of, Hold your horses, I'll get there. It would have been perfect kelly harris said i love this story very playful i enjoyed the way his friends patiently listened to the entire outrageous story and even forgot for a minute that he was trying to pull a fast one the end was obvious was supposed to be and for me that fact was what made it even more enjoyable you just sit back and enjoy the ride reese hughes himself popped up to mention that all the other caster jenkins stories are in a collection that can be ordered from www.screamingdreams.com backslash mariner What are you waiting for, Scallywags? Go check it out now. And if you can't visit us in our floating castle in the sky anytime soon, why not swing by our forums at forums.escapeartist.net, where you can discuss any old story and lie to your little heart's content. Just don't expect us to pay for your fish and chips.
1: Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Voltaire said, History is fables agreed upon.